Hey there everybody, it's Pastor James and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study once again. Last week we covered all of chapter 9 as Paul continued to stress the importance of the Corinthians to finish giving to the calls that they had committed over a year before. Now today we'll begin to bite into chapter 10. I think we can finish all of it and we'll see how far we can get as Paul once again defends his authority as an apostle. So Paul's kind of changing gears a little bit. He's he's circling back around to the kind of the focus of this letter. And um, so let's read verses 1 through 18. This is the entire chapter. We're going to read it together and I think we can get it finished. So let's read. It says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. Well, I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think they act from human motives. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. Look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. I am not trying to frighten you by my letters. For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak, and his speeches are worthless. Those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from far away. Oh, don't worry. We would never dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. But they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant! We will not boast about things done outside our area of authority. We will boast only about what has happened within the boundaries of the work God has given us, which includes our working with you. We are not reaching beyond these boundaries when we claim authority over you as if we had never visited you. For we are the first to travel all the way to Corinth with the good news of Christ. Nor do we boast and claim credit for the work someone else has done. Instead, we hope that your faith will grow so that the boundaries of our work among you will be extended. Then we will be able to go and preach the good news in other places far beyond you where no one else is working. Then there will be no question of our boasting about work done in someone else's territory. As the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. When people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is for the Lord to commend them. Alright, so at the beginning of this chapter, Paul appeals with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. And Paul is confronting an issue here that is one of the most difficult things in the world to confront. Uh, you know, if you have someone or a group of people who is being hostile in a way, uh, how do you confront that in a godly way that yet doesn't permit them to have the idea that they can push you around. That's extremely difficult to balance that as you go into 
a confrontational situation? How do you stand your ground and yet do it in a loving and Christ-like way? And some people may see this chapter as Paul tooting his own horn um, and uh, kind of playing himself up in this moment. But Paul is genuinely trying to resolve this situation in the smoothest manner that he can possibly do it in. And he's trying to do this through a letter so that it doesn't have to be done in person. And he's just preparing the people for what's to come. Now, Paul says in this letter that he's not bragging, he's not boasting. You know, he's only boasting about what the Lord has done. And we'll talk some more about that in a second. But, you know, you got to remember that the false teacher or the false apostle that was still present among the Corinthians and a small group of Corinthians had accused Paul of being timid in person because during his last visit when he was mistreated and you got to remember we don't know whether or not Paul was uh, verbally abused or physically abused but either way Paul was severely hurt by what had happened and when he was mistreated uh, no one in Corinth defended him and, and Paul left Corinth uh, being extremely hurt you know it kind of crushed him that his people that he ministered to and who had received salvation because of of his ministry had kind of denied him a little bit and that crushed paul but he was also angry and uh he left because if no one was going to defend him how do you defend yourself and not sound prideful and that's one of the things that that's the reason why scripture tells us to let the Lord be our defender that vengeance is the Lord's because if we take vengeance it's prideful if we defend ourselves it's prideful if God does it or if someone else does it for us then it's not prideful it's just truth because that's your witness to affirm you and this whole reason is why Paul wrote the third letter, you know, that letter that we have called the painful or tearful letter. And it caused many of the Corinthians to repent for what had happened. But there were still this small group of people and at least this one false apostle that was hanging on and trying to push Paul out of the Corinthian church there and uh, leave him with no authority whatsoever. And this one false teacher uh, attacked Paul vehemently and just has not let up. And he continues to just try to discredit Paul in every way possible. So the, the third letter that Paul sent, which is before 2 Corinthians, was very effective. And he claims that uh, this false apostle claims that Paul is very bold in his letters, but he's a coward in person because... Last time, Paul just left without defending himself. So this false apostle thinks that Paul is just a coward in person, but he's very stern in his letters. And uh, what Paul is doing is he's begging the people of Corinth to repent and accept Paul and his companions as apostles with authority in Christ. And, and Paul doesn't want to be bold. Paul doesn't want to have to defend himself or to fight but uh, he knows that he must confront the people who are still bringing about opposition and that they will need to be corrected and they will need to be punished if they refuse to humble themselves and submit to the authority and the leadership of Christ. And Paul is more than capable of doing that, but he doesn't want to. And so as Paul addresses this accusation that they say he and his companions act from human motives, 
Paul begins to explain that, yeah, they are humans, uh, but they don't wage war as humans do. They don't act off of human motives, but they are spiritual beings and they use spiritual weapons. And these are the weapons that they have received from God and not from the world. So it's very different in Paul's mindset of how he's handling this versus the false apostles' mindset of how they are handling it. And uh, because Paul views all this as a spiritual battle, um, they are able to destroy any human reasoning and false arguments through gifts and weapons of the Spirit. They destroy obstacles. They, Paul talks about capturing rebellious thoughts and teaching people to be obedient. And then he says that anyone who refuses will be punished. And, and that's pretty interesting because... When you think about the early church, how how can you punish people? How does the church have the authority to punish people? And basically, you just remove them from the body. You remove them from the fellowship of Christ. And that is one of the main ways that you, you punish people through the church is saying, listen, if you're not going to be obedient, if you're not going to submit to the authority of Christ and to the authority of the church, we will just remove you from this until you decide to repent, and then we will welcome you back in. So, <clears throat> this explanation of how Paul uses spiritual weapons is pretty intriguing, and it reminds me a lot of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and if you are a Christian and you're familiar with Scripture, you will immediately know that this is the passage that talks about the whole armor of God. Um, if not... I encourage you, once you finish this Bible study, to go and read Ephesians 6 as Paul talks about the armor of God and how he compares uh, common everyday items that the Roman soldiers used with um, the gifts and the tools that God gives us through the Spirit to serve him. And Paul uses the Roman soldier armor to uh, relate to people because... Most of everybody in the world during this time would have been very familiar with a Roman soldier, with his gear, with what he has. And as Paul talks about this, he replaces each item that a Roman soldier has or possesses or carries with a spiritual attribute. And so he talks about the first thing is your belt, which Paul says this is the truth. All right, your belt is the thing that holds up your clothing. It holds everything together. It keeps you from being vulnerable. And uh, it is very instrumental. It's the center of what you are. Like, if you are familiar with sports, you will know that your hips are uh, the base upon which you operate. And, and where your hips go is where your body goes. And so... This truth that is where your belt is, is what holds everything together. And then Paul talks about the, uh, the body armor, which is righteousness. And the armor that a soldier wore would protect them from strikes and blows, maybe unforeseen strikes and blows. And the righteousness that you have, not your righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ, will protect you from various things then he talks about shoes and he says for your shoes that is the good news this will help you walk that as you receive christ and you accept the good news that you should be on the move with the good news to deliver it to other people 
for your shield. This is faith. And it will be your weapon of defense. This is what you use to defend yourself against attacks from others and attacks from Satan. And the shield is your main defensive weapon. Your helmet, which is salvation, will protect your head, your mind, because that's where sin starts, is in your mind. Uh, what you think about, what you dwell on, starts in your mind, in your head. And the only offensive weapon that Paul lists is the sword, which is God's word. This is your offensive weapon upon which, if you want to attack the, the powers of Satan, the spiritual realms, you need God's word in order to be able to do that. And so, it's a great analogy as, as Paul talks about this warfare because... As we wake up every day, we are fighting spiritual battles. It's an everyday thing, and we have to be prepared. And the way that we go about living everyday life is very different from how the world lives everyday life. And so we put on the armor of God. While a soldier may put on physical armor to go fight in a war, we as Christians put on the armor of God, and we wage a spiritual war. And that's what Paul's kind of talking about in this passage. You know, it's like, the way that he and his companions combat spirit or uh, issues in the body of Christ is through a spiritual nature, and basically he's saying that look, uh, these other uh, this other apostle and these people they are waging war as the world does. We are we wage war in a spiritual way, and uh, we are not afraid at all because we know we have the power to overcome because the spiritual is greater than the physical. Now. Paul's main defense is that anyone who says they belong to Christ will surely recognize that he and his companions belong to Christ as well. And this isn't boasting or bragging. Paul states that his authority is legitimate because his authority doesn't diminish the Corinthians in any way, but rather it builds them up. And the false apostles and their followers were tearing down, they were manipulating, they were causing division. In order for them to have authority, they were having to take authority away from someone else. But in the Christian realm, in the spiritual realm, whenever someone receives authority, it's because Christ gives them authority. Authority is not taken and then given to someone else. Authority can just be given without taking authority from anyone else. And um, Paul talks about how his authority um, comes from Christ, and it, and it builds the Corinthians up. And it doesn't take it away from anyone, but rather his authority gives authority to other believers and other ministers of the gospel. So um, Paul wants unity. He wants humbleness, gentleness, and provisions for the church as a whole, not just the churches of Corinth, but the church as a whole, every church that he's ministered to, because Paul wants to build up the Corinthians. He's not ashamed of using his authority to build the Corinthians up. He wants them to be more self-sustaining. He wants to be needed less and less so that he can be used somewhere else. So in verse 9, Paul again reiterates the fact that he's not trying to frighten or strong-arm anyone. And this attitude of the false apostle and his followers shine as they continue to criticize Paul's letters. 
and his weakness in person. So they're constantly pointing out the negative attributes of Paul and trying to talk bad about them. But Paul is just constantly defending apostleship and what God has done in him and through him. And so you got to pay attention to how uh, these people say that Paul's speeches are worthless. And remember back to 1 Corinthians when we started this months ago, as the Corinthian people were very uh, hyper-focused on speeches and debates, and they loved to uh, give orations about different things. And it, it was just really interesting that they really valued the ability for someone to speak publicly, and they just did not think that Paul was this great speaker. And so they're criticizing Paul about that. Now, <clears throat> Paul tells him that when he comes this time, that he is prepared to be bold and to be forceful because this time he has been able to really prepare his heart and his mind for the occasion. You know, the last time Paul was with them, he was caught off guard. He was attacked and no one defended him. And he left. He was sad and he, he really probably just didn't really know how to handle the situation in that moment without, uh, you know, misrepresenting Christ out of anger or selfishness. And so as Paul is prepared, as Paul now has a group of the Corinthians that have repented and are back uh, with him in accordance with the church, <coughs> Paul is very much ready to come and hold these people accountable. So... In verse 12, it reveals some of the sarcasm that we've talked about that a lot of scholars believe Paul has. But Paul reveals that these other men, they're, they're bragging about themselves, they're tooting their own horns, and they're talking about their gifts and their ministries, and, and they're doing all this by measuring themselves against one another and against other people. And, and really measuring yourself against other people as a Christian, is the absolute worst thing that we can do. We should never, ever, ever compare ourselves to others as a way to see whether or not we're doing well in our spiritual lives. This is the one thing that will get you in trouble in your spiritual life. Without purposefully pursuing sin, comparing yourself to others for a spiritual reference is probably the worst thing you can do other than just purposefully pursuing sin. Because when you begin to compare yourself to others, not only will it open up the door for sin, because it very much will, but it will also leave you frustrated, confused, unfulfilled, and significantly lost in the midst of trying to follow Christ because God has not called you to be like anyone else. I think that's very important. When you look at the church, when you look at Christians, when you look at pastors, when you look at different churches, even within the context of a small community like Chesney, every Christian is different. Every pastor is different. Every church is different. Every ministry is different. And God has designed that specifically to reach as many different people as possible because people are different. And God has created us all to be different. 
And we're not supposed to be clones. We're not supposed to look exactly like one another and act exactly alike. But we are very much created in uniqueness and we're very much called in uniqueness. And he's called every one of us to minister and serve in our own unique ways. And so comparing ourselves to others is a sad way to get a bearing on where we are spiritually because you might be able to do something better than someone else. You know, it's like you might look at another Christian and say, well, I'm doing this better than them and I'm I'm saying this better than them and I'm reading my Bible more and I'm praying more and I'm doing all this. And that's great if um, that's what God's called you to do. But the truth is, is that you might be able to do something better than another Christian, but it doesn't mean that that's what God's calling you to do. And we have to be humble enough and hungry enough for God to understand that, that even though we could, we might have the talents and abilities to do something better than someone else, God may very much be calling us to do something different and so that He can use that other person to glorify Himself in that thing. And we have to remember that because God may be calling us to do something that we may not necessarily feel extremely talented in so that he can receive glory and honor in us and through us. And um, God views everything very differently than we do. He wants obedience, not performance. And this this is a, a spiritual thing. It's not a physical thing. And this is why Paul refers to, to that concept as ignorant that if we're comparing ourselves to other people we are ignorant because God does not want us to compare ourselves to others God wants us to be obedient to the calling he's placed on our life through Jesus Christ and so Paul refuses to boast about anything that is outside of his authority <coughs> because he only wants what he only wants the ability to do what Christ has called him to and he can only do what God's called him to and gifted him to do. Everything else is beyond his responsibility. It's beyond his calling. But the church of Corinth is very much within those realms of boasting. And Paul will gladly talk about the good thing that has happened among the Corinthians because Paul's authority is very much over the Corinthians. He's not overreaching when he claims authority over them because Paul is the one who brought the message of the gospel to the Corinthians. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. They were saved because of his preaching. And the church was started because of Paul's ministry. Paul's not taking credit for someone else's work. He's simply stating facts and dares not to compare himself to other apostles, other true apostles, and he's definitely not comparing himself to these false or super apostles, as they called themselves. Um, Paul doesn't care about that. Now, in verse 15, Paul plainly says that he would never claim credit for the work that someone else has done. And this is very true, <coughs> because let's go back to 1 Corinthians again. Several months ago, when we talked about this, Paul... In the first few chapters, Paul vividly talked about how some plant seeds, some water seeds, but Christ is the one that produces the fruit. So they all do different work. They all have different callings and responsibilities, but Jesus is the one who inevitably produces the fruit. So whenever other people serve and minister, the boundaries and authorities of everyone called to follow Christ is extended. Okay? So... Now think about that. If Paul only ministers for himself, then he only 
has authority where he ministers. But if he ministers for Jesus Christ in the global church, the whole church, that means that Paul has authority not only in the churches that he's ministered to, but he also has authority in churches that Peter has ministered to, and Mark, and John, and, and uh, you know all these other people that have, have ministered and, and done different things. Timothy, because they are all ministering in the context upon which God has called them to, now all of their authority is expanded to these different churches because they're all working for the same Savior. So therefore they would acknowledge the authority of these people being apostles in each church. So if everyone's doing what they're called to do, authority is extended. But whenever you're trying to deny other people's authority and you're trying to to uh, grasp at other people's authority, that narrows the authority down to only where you are. See, Paul had authority everywhere, but these false apostles were only claiming authority in Corinth because they weren't accepted anywhere else at that time. <coughs> now, um, it's important to remember that Paul wants nothing more than for Christ to help the Corinthians to grow and become mature believers. Because if the Corinthians will grow up and they will become mature, that means Paul gets to stop playing babysitter to them, and then he gets to go and preach the good news somewhere else where a group of people has never heard it. And Paul says that that way, if he goes to a place that's never received the message of the gospel, he will be working in a place that no one else has ever worked. Therefore, no one else can claim credit or authority there. So Paul's saying, look, I will be more than happy to leave you alone if y'all will repent, if you will grow, if you will follow Christ so I can go somewhere else where no one has done anything. Now, verse 17 is a verse that Paul loves to quote, and it's actually a verse from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. Paul uses it. So this is verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 10. But it talks about how Paul only boasts in the Lord. He only boasts of what the Lord has done. <clears throat> and wrapping up this chapter, Paul nails it. I mean, it's a great verse, 18. When he says, when people boast about themselves, it doesn't mean very much. And it doesn't. Because everyone thinks more highly of themselves than others do. But when the Lord commends and affirms a person, that is what truly counts. People need to be able to see God working in you and through you. And if people cannot affirm that God is affirming you, then there are some questions that we need to ask ourselves. So as we close up today, I just want to ask you, do you believe that the Lord is affirming you in your ministry and your service to Him? It doesn't mean that you're successful according to the world's standards of measuring. Don't pay attention to what the world says is success. And I know that's extremely difficult. As I'm sitting here today and I'm saying this as a pastor, it is extremely difficult not to measure things the way that the world does. Oh, it's so hard. I can't tell you how hard that is. But the question is, is whether or not God is affirming you in your ministry and in your service to Him. Because if He is, then others are going to be able to see it as well. If so, if other people can affirm that God is working in you and through you, that's so important. 
And it's so important for you to know that God is affirming you in the way that he's working in you and through you. And, and that's the only reason that Paul has authority. Now, you got to remember that. The only reason Paul has authority in the church at all is because God done an amazing work in Paul. And he's doing amazing work through Paul. God is really, really using this man to change the world in the name of Jesus. And so today, I just ask you that question. Do you feel like God is affirming you? And do you feel like people are affirming you in what God is doing in your life and through your life? And really, we should just be trying to say, God, how can I better serve you? How can I live for you? Because when we serve Christ and we live for Him and we honor Him, He'll give us more and more and more authority because He wants to glorify and honor His name. And if you're going to glorify and honor his name, he's going to give you every opportunity to do that. All right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, for this time together, for all that you've given us. Jesus, we love you, and we ask that you would help us to honor and glorify your name. Help us to be like Paul, to only claim authority where we are giving the authority from you. Help us to never try to take authority away from others. But God, to wait on you to give it to us. Lord, we pray that first and foremost you would do a great work in us so that you can then do a great work through us. Lord, we love you. Help us to make the name of Jesus great among this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. We are so glad that you're a part of the Graham Chapel family. If you can't make it on campus, we would love to see you um, 9 a.m., 11 a.m., 10 a.m. Sunday school. But uh, if you can't make it on campus, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.